as early as this morning, we were talking with these folks about whether they should hold their property or should they sell it. And the secret to success really is understand the cycles. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt Rouse and Jeremy Marcotte. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Jeremy Marcotte, and I'm here with Matt Rouse. Say hi, Matt. Hello. And today we have two special guests. We've got Dan Hayes from Real Property Management. Hi, Dan. Hey, Jeremy. And we have Ben Ficker from Equity Pacific Real Estate. Hi, Ben. Hello. So today we're going to talk about building wealth through investment real estate, kind of what that journey looks like, what you can do, how legislation and stuff. Like, let's just talk about all of the things because building wealth sounds great. So let's go about it. Dan, you were with us last episode. Can you give us a little bit of a refresher on who you are, what you do? Yeah, my name is Dan Hayes. I'm one of the four family members that own a company called Real Property Management Solutions here in town. And we serve several hundred clients and manage their rental properties across the three-county area. Perfect. And then, Ben, what is it that you do? Yeah, I'm a uh, multifamily broker here in the Portland metro area, also licensed in Washington and working on a license in Idaho. What we do is we play real-life Monopoly. We help people take what they've got and turn it into more units and bigger units and bigger properties and give them a, uh, a cash flow to retire on the beach somewhere, maybe Costa Rica, who knows. Costa Rica sounds great. You know, if you want an investment property in Costa Rica, we know a guy, so we can <laughs> do that. Well, um, Kevin was on the show, was it, I think it was episode 14. I'd have to go and check. Uh, we can fix that in post. <laughs> but yeah, Kevin from Costa Rica Investment Properties was on. Right. So buying investment properties, you're you're going in with a specific goal in mind, right? You're going in to ultimately have the passive income to be able to live <coughs> retirement and not worry about, well, how'd my 401k do? Am I going to work until I'm 95? You know, if you want to do that, you know, more power to you, go for it. But I'm totally going to do that. Not everybody <laughs> wants to work into their 70s or 80s, but that's kind of where a lot of people have to go because maybe they didn't plan to build wealth. Maybe they just live paycheck to paycheck, whatever the case is. So let's talk a little bit about how we would go about doing that and how both of you could maybe help that process along. And it all starts with, I don't want to work all the time. I want, I've got a hundred thousand dollars. Well, maybe we should to clarify a little bit. Now you guys have done presentations, joint presentations, mm -hmm. right? Where you talk about wealth building and stuff. And I know this, so that's why mm -hmm. we have both of you on at the same time. Mm -hmm. So why don't you talk a little bit about that and we'll kind of take it from there. Okay. Well, I'd like to start with this idea that investment real estate is a passive investment. It is a very passive investment. If at the end of your investment career, you're going to get rid of a dilapidated building with under market rents and mold in every room. One of the uh, hardest concepts to get across is investment real estate is active. You need to stay up on rents. Mm -hmm. You need to stay up on the condition of the property. You need to stay up on the legislation that's going on. Mm -hmm. And if you're not going to do it, you can take a much more passive role by hiring someone like Dan Hayes to help out with that. But the idea that you're just going to buy this building and never have to worry again is what gets a lot of people into trouble. Yeah, there's no such thing as set it and forget it necessarily. Correct. Unless you're Ron Papil. Exactly. <laughs> right, yeah. So okay. we, well, we, And if you haven't listened to the previous episode, you should go back and listen to that one where we talk about all of the problems that you can have when you're like, I haven't heard from my tenants for two years. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not a good thing. That's actually a bad thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, go back and listen to that if you haven't yet, and we'll continue from here. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, but. you're good. 
I think for me, you know, having built a decent sized real estate portfolio, I think it begins with surrounding yourself with the right team. Really, it's one of those investment vehicles that takes more effort than just sitting down with a financial planner and saying, here's $100,000, go put it to work, make sure it comes back with more money than what I just gave you. And building that team is everything, starting with someone like Ben that understands rental investment properties, not only as someone who serves clients, but actually actively invests himself. And someone like me, frankly, that understands how to manage properties, but also owns residential investment properties as well. Mm -hmm. And once you surround yourself with that team, now you've got a group of advisors who can really, for lack of a better way of saying it, force you to sit down and, and really describe what do you want this thing to do? And when do you want it to do it? Now, we've jumped to the conclusion that somebody wants passive income to retire or live life on the beach. That may not be it. You know, that may that was not my initial goal. Right. You know, my initial goal was to create financial freedom so I could have a choice about where I wanted to spend my time. And I had a clear idea of how much that took and when I wanted that to happen. And that really guided everything from there. So many times people make a mistake, and Ben will weigh in on this as well, but they'll come to someone like Ben and I and they'll say, I wanna get into the rental business. And we'll say, great, where would you like to begin? I don't know, just find me a really good rental property. Right. Well, what makes a really good rental property? It all depends on what you wanted to do and when do you want it to do it? You know, certainly Ben is the expert that can weigh in more on that, but that's where I started. And I think that was one of the things that really guided my choices and helped me shape this portfolio that's been more lucrative than I thought possible. Yeah. And uh, the other thing to keep in mind, you threw out the $100,000 make it work for me. I'm sure you got listeners all over the world. $100,000 in the Portland metro area does not get you a great cash flowing property. There's other ways to get started. If I don't even know oversight. if that will get you a property. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you could get a property, right. but you've got to, you're going to need money for your windows and your siding and all your other stuff. Right? <laughs> right. For the rest um, of the house. Yeah. But, well, for, for example, right. you know, I'm on the younger side. I'm 36 years old, which I'm still calling younger. But my wife and I just bought an off-market duplex for $530,000. We owe four fifty dollars on it, so we put $85,000 right. well, down. Yeah. Right? So, so there's $100,000. We live in one side. The other side, actually, we put about fifteen into getting it fixed up, so we're about a hundred thousand dollars in. We live in one side; the other side rents for nineteen hundred. Our out-of-pocket every month is nine hundred dollars, right? Hmm. That's a great place to get started. Now, if you're sixty-five years old and you're like, "Like, I got five years left to work," or whatever, that's probably not the play for you. But if you're twenty years old and you've got twenty thousand dollars, and you're like, I need to buy a property, that's how you do it. You buy that owner-occupied duplex, you rent out one side, you rent out the other bedroom in your side, and you build that equity, and then you turn it into a fourplex, and then owner-occupied fourplex. And right. then you turn that into eight units, and that's where you're going to start to see actual real cash flow coming, not $100 at the end of every month. And you're yeah. saying owner-occupied. Yeah. Is that... I mean, it might be a combination of things, but one of those is to keep your own costs down, right? But is yeah, it sure. also, is there some kind of tax benefit or something for that also? Well, so, I mean, we can get in, we can touch on the legislation right. if we want, but statewide, if you own or occupy a duplex, you are exempt from a lot of the regulations oh, okay. that have just passed, right? So if you own or occupy a Ford unit, you don't have the same flexibility that you do own or occupy a duplex. But yeah, it keeps your own costs down. So it's an important distinction. That it is, right. So, so if you're, you're going to buy a property, 
as a non-owner occupant, you're going to need at least 25, 20 to 25% down. And if you're buying owner occupant, anywhere from three and a half percent to 15% down will get you into a decent property. Right. And I think it's important, you know, the method that Ben describes is really effective. And and he described a situation where his out-of-pocket each month is $900 a month. So one could say, well, that's cash flow negative. But if you've got to get used to and understand total economic benefit. Mm-hmm. You know, each time mm-hmm. that rent check is paid, Ben pays far less in his monthly mortgage payment than he otherwise would. Mm-hmm. But also remember that asset's appreciating each month. Mm-hmm. Principal is being reduced, so mm-hmm. equity is being built. There are tax advantages that none of us have time to get into today, but total economic benefit is really important to understand and understand how you get to, to get a true financial picture of what your asset's going to do for you. So is that something too, though, you live in one side, Mm -hmm. so would, this this is going to be the sticky widget, right? Would you recommend, or would you say it's kind of dependent on the person? Would you manage that property on yourself, or would you hire like RPM to kind of manage that for you to, to help mitigate the risks that come along with owning a So here, here's the caveat. I work in real estate. My father-in-law is a local real estate attorney. I've got one tenant. I'm going to handle that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who don't want their tenants to know that they're the owners of a company like Real Property Management to deal with that because often you don't want that knock on your door at 2 a.m. saying the toilet's clogged, come fix it. Right, mm-hmm. and uh, you want that to go to Dan's team, and Dan will get out of. No, he won't. <laughs> um, they send the handyman out. But yeah, so it, it really it really depends on the person. But if you're a young professional, busy, have things going on, I absolutely would recommend getting proper management in place with somebody who considers the investment side of your asset, not just not just cashing those checks. Or you're a business owner, right? Or you're a professional in in some capacity where you have, you know, you're already working 60 to 90 hour weeks. You don't want to add another 20 hour week on top of that doing property management tasks, right? right? And and in reality, having one tenant once it's set up and done isn't that much work. But my previous tenant had her faucet, her handle pull off of her faucet, three times in about two months. And on the third time, like that was literally the only calls we ever got. And I was like, I'm ready to call Dan to come in and handle this. And then we, you know, but it, it was right. nothing, but it aggravates you. Uh, yeah, I think, point. like we talked last time, the decision to manage your own rental property or to hire a professional really comes down to a couple of things. What's your time worth? Right. Do not fool yourself into thinking that because you manage it yourself, it's going to be easier or it's going to be cheaper. Just really ask yourself, what's your time worth? And if you feel like dedicating the time necessary to do that well is a positive financial return for you and you feel like you can go out and get the education and you'll be engaged, as Ben said, there's you, you have to be engaged. It's passive income, but it's not passive effort. Right. right. It's active effort. You know, to get the best passive return, you've got to be active. And if you're willing to do that, knock yourself out. Heck, you know, you can represent yourself in a court of law. You can sell your own home. You mm-hmm. can paint your own house, fix your own toilet. You know, you certainly wouldn't want to be your own brain surgeon, of course, but, you know, all these other things you can go do. Right. But the question comes down to, do you really want to? And why would you? When you right. can leave it to someone else. It's not uncommon, not to not to self-promote, but it's not uncommon for us to walk into a property owner's situation, 
look at where they're at, both from a rent perspective and expense control and overall management, and not see an immediate 20 to 25% improvement in their return just by hiring us. Right. And that's after they pay us. So it's pretty common right. to see that. And from my perspective as a broker, so we help people buy and sell these properties, your multifamily investment properties value comes from your net operating income, your, right. your money after your expenses, not including your mortgage payment. I know the people who self-manage, their values are quite a bit less. So you might see a 25% return on your monthly cash flow by hiring someone like Dan's team, but you need to keep doing the math. And what does that do to your overall value, your equity, your value of your property? Because that's really where the big money is. Exactly. Yeah, that's where the big exactly. money is, yeah. Good. I did an, I did an evaluation on a 30-unit property uh, apartment complex who was being self-managed by a family member. Based on the lack of on-site oversight, if you will, right. below market rents, based on a cap rate calculation against the market cap rate, I roughly estimated that they had given up close to $900,000 in overall value on that property, and those are real numbers. And what they were trying to do is save a couple of thousand dollars in property management fees. Right. And that's real life stuff. So funny, I used to live in an apartment complex in downtown Calgary when I was in Canada, and it was probably, I don't know, 45, 50 units, something like that. And we used to pay the landlord in cash, and she would give us a rental discount in cash, and then she would always say that a certain percentage of the building wasn't rented and kind of move around which <laughs> units we supposedly lived in that's because you know where that cash was going, yeah, that's right? right. Yep. Yeah, that's right. But we were also getting, you know, 150 bucks a month off on our rent. Yeah. You know, which is that's a lot of money in the 90s. It works you know? for everybody but the owner. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, that's so, and who knows who the owner was, yeah. right? It could yeah. be family member. It could yeah. be, you know, who knows, right? So we talked a little bit, you know, the words cash flow and equity have kind of been tossed around already, right? But mm-hmm. there's a distinct difference, dif- difference? <laughs> difference, right? It, it, cash flow is one thing. Equity is another. Can one of you guys explain that maybe a little better? Let's hit up Ben because he's making eye contact with me. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about maybe the difference between balancing cash flow and equity in an investment property, especially since it's your niche, like multifamily yeah. properties. So, so, yeah, so just a quick definition your cash flow is after your expenses, what is being deposited into your bank account at the end of every month or once 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 the bills are paid and the, the rent comes in, the bills are paid, what's left over, that's your cash flow. Before debt service. Before debt service, yeah. Or you can do your total cash on cash would be after debt service or whatever. So you're going to realize that money every single month. And debt service is what you pay out to? That is your mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. That is paying the principal of your mortgage payment. Okay. Because right? you got interest and principal, mm-hmm. right? So the debt service is paying down that principal there. So the equity, though, that is something that is all numbers in the cloud that doesn't make it, it does it means nothing to you today you only realize it once you sell so that's the value you can sell the property for when you so or refinance it it's yeah. just it's really just, it's just equity it's just it isn't cash until you convert it to cash right. exactly in whatever form you convert so it's right. a hard asset versus liquid funds. and that's kind of why you hear people say like you should own your own home because you're building wealth but you're not really, are you, right? You're just kind of controlling your own costs. Well, you're, Unless you have another property that you're renting out, you're not really building any wealth. Well, right? you're controlling your own costs for sure. You, right. You've got to live somewhere, right? right? So you're controlling your costs and you're paying down that note. You're right. paying down how much you owe. So you're building some equity there. I think of your primary residence more as 
your safety net get that thing done and dealt with so that when you retire, you don't have that monthly nut right. to hit, right? But, you know, if you bought it in 1988 and you're going to sell it today, you know, you might have bought it for 30000 and now you're selling it for six, $700,000. That's, that's pretty – that's some good money right. there, right? But it's really – equity is – we, you know, we talk about with with sellers, they all they all kind of get this idea on what their property is worth, but it's not really worth that until somebody writes you that check. That equity is the difference between what you owe to pay it off and what some buyer is willing to cut you a check for. That that difference there, that's your equity. For me, I subscribe to the probably a more pure notion of assets and liabilities. I subscribe to the Kiyosaki rich dad, poor dad definition of assets and and liabilities. And I see your primary residence. If you have a mortgage on that, that's an expense. It's not an asset. It's not an asset until you convert it to cash. And then you got to have a place to put that cash if you're going to put it to work. My belief is an asset is something that produces cash. Mm -hmm. And your primary residence does not produce cash. You certainly could build equity. There are a number of benefits of of home ownership, but in my mind, it's not an asset until it gets converted to cash. But as Ben said, cash flow is just simply how how many dollars do I bring in and how many dollars do I pay out and what do I have left over? That's my cash flow. It's either positive or negative. That's basically it. But cash on cash return is simply how much cash did you have to put in to get that cash back? Mm -hmm. So if you take that $100,000 as an example, go to financial planner and say, what would my annual return be in your estimate? And the financial planner says 5%. That's a 5% cash on cash return, let's say. So, you know, as I said, an investment property is just a a vehicle. So if you put $100,000 down and you brought back five points of return, that's cash on cash return. Think of it that way, and you'll, you'll make much better investment right. decisions. And you'll, you'll start to be able to answer the question, so what makes a good rental property? Right. And you know what? We do the same kind of calculation in the marketing world with business owners and stuff is we say, because of the way that direct marketing is kind of turned around where you can say, I ran a Facebook ad, it cost me $100, and they bought this thing that was $200, so I doubled my money. Well, that's not really what happened, right? right? I mean, because there's all cost of goods and doing right, business right. and all that kind of stuff anyways. Right. But then there's also what you need to do is you need to be basing your marketing on what is the actual long-term value of a client, mm-hmm. right? So we use lifetime value, right. right? So you average out if my average customer is, let's say it's somebody who's renting, mm-hmm. right? And you wanted to advertise for a renter. If it's $1,600 a month and you make $300 cash flow on that, you don't say, I have to spend $300 to get this renter in because mm-hmm. I'm going to make $300 mm-hmm. because you're going to make $300 a month for a year on their lease. Right. Right. So you could hypothetically spend more to get that customer right. and still be profitable. But then the other thing that we were talking about also is in kind of the marketing world, we, we tend to think of it as opportunity cost, right? Is if I'm spending all this time managing my own rental or trying to sell my own house or you know whatever that thing is, what am I losing out on that I'm not doing for my business, mm. right? Yeah. So if yeah, I'm spending met- 20 hours a week mm-hmm. instead of hiring Dan to do it, and it costs me a couple thousand dollars a year for him to do that, but I could have made $20,000 in my business, I actually lost $18,000. My first mentor in the business made sure I understood something very clearly. Whether you decide to manage the property on your own or you decide to sell it on your own, assign a cost associated with that activity right. to yourself. Because if you don't, You're misstating your financials because someone's going to do that work, whether it be you or someone else. Someone's going to get paid, and there is a cost there. In your example, it's an opportunity cost. You're you're doing something that you could otherwise be doing to make money. 
if it works out that way, great. If you're okay with spending that money on yourself, then knock yourself out. But don't kid yourself. Right. That activity costs money. Mm-hmm. So count it. Yep. Calculate right. it. Yep. Get your financial calculations right. You'll make less mistakes. Right. There's also some cost in liability, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, <laughs> I know you're laughing already, right? But people never calculate the cost of potential mistakes, and that's a big cost, right? Like one of the things that I think, and Ben can weigh in it too, on it too, obviously. But I think one of the challenges with businesses like Ben and I is the better we do, the more it looks like we're not needed, right? How hard could it possibly be? Right, us you're too. just collecting rent, right? Right, you're a realtor. All you do is check yeah, boxes. all you do is you check yeah. boxes. Yeah. Do the seller disclosure, right? Yeah, and then try getting through those that quagmire when things go badly. <laughs> it is. Yeah. See how that goes, right? And I've seen it recently. In the realtor specific realm, it in its high level ten thousand foot view, what you do is facilitate paperwork to make sure that it happens correctly. But they don't see you made sure this inspection went through. You made sure that this was done. You made sure that that stupid checkbox was actually mm-hmm. checked. That could save you tens, if not you know hundreds of hours in heartache in the long run because and having the relationships with yeah. you know in your case the tenants right Dan and mm. and in your case that could be it, well you know, it's vendors like getting, right and vendors with yeah. both of you right yeah. and who's going to fix this thing how do I know that I need to do a sewer scope or I need to have you know Ben understands the warning signs right when he's looking at a rent roll. Mm-hmm. that has been presented from the seller to the buyer, potential buyer that Ben represents, Ben can see the warning signs that might suggest that things are not as advertised. And the one thing in this, you know, for any folks that are listening to thinking about getting into the, into the residential real estate investment business, I've done a, a number of transactions. I never have and I never will negotiate my realtor's commission fee. Never. Whatever they charge, that's what they charge. I'll choose a different real estate broker if I feel like I'm not getting the value. As a real estate investor, I pay folks what they ask. I'll find somebody else if they're not delivering real value because this this business is expensive when it goes Mm -hmm. badly. Yeah. Like, it's never small. Find people who are really good at what they do. Pay them well. Take good care of them and hold on to them for dear life. You'll make way more money in the long run. Find someone like Ben. Thank you. I appreciate that. And now, a quick break. Digital Marketing Masters will be right back. Are you ready to stop grinding and start making an impact? Are you tired of working long hours and not growing your business? Get Matt's new book, Flattening the Hamster Wheel, on Amazon now. Just go to hook2.us slash hamster. That's H-O-O-K-T-O dot U-S forward slash H-A-M-S-T-E-R. Well, we were just talking about bad realtors, actually, <laughs> before this. But, uh, Here's Ben Figure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we actually, I mean, we had a couple episodes that we were talking with. I mean, we had Tracy from the All Things Real Estate Store, who owns a brokerage, but mm-hmm. also owns a real estate supply mm-hmm. store, right? Mm-hmm. And we had Lauren Goche on, who does usually duplexes and single houses, mm-hmm. right? But, you know, we on both cases, the topic of especially real estate agents who are just trying to make a quick buck and don't really want to spend any money on what they're doing and, and you know, cutting corners. And, I mean, God forbid they cut the wrong corner because mm-hmm. what a fortune in problems. That's what yeah. Harrison right. Emissions Insurance is for. That's right. <laughs> and insurance. We, I know we said we weren't going to talk about insurance, so we won't get into that now. But just unbelievable problems. Uh, just one super quick example is 
we had somebody, one of our clients actually, who was telling us about the deal that they got on this property from someone because they knew the realtor. Mm -hmm. So the realtor picked their offer, Mm -hmm. which was like about $15,000 below market value. Why was it even listed for that in the first place? I have no idea. Yeah. But yeah, they're, they're like, hey, we turned it around in two days and sold your house. Yeah, well, yeah. but you lost $30,000. So mm-hmm. yeah, unfortunately, the bar to get your real estate license isn't that high. It's just pretty low. So yeah. I remember, I don't know, it was probably five or six years ago, there was a, a, a Groupon for $299 for the real estate course to get your license. And what a nice put on the horrible Groupon. message it puts out there no for kidding. people. Um, Pretty soon they have it on Fiverr. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, right? Get your real estate it's, license. Um, it's five the, bucks. The, the reality is that it's very easy to get your real estate license, and anytime the market is doing an upswing like it has been, people find success. And I, there, there's, he's a. Um, <laughs> I hope he doesn't hear this. There's a uh, <laughs> this guy also named Ben. He's trying to figure out how to get engaged to uh, our friend Heather. Did you tell him just to ask? Or? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's this guy, <laughs> this guy took her to the top of the mountain, brought a family heirloom ring. Gave her the ring and says, by the way, this isn't a proposal. I'm like, what do you – he doesn't know what he's doing. Anyway. How do you mess that up? Anyway, so that, that's a side note. So he, um, he had been, he's been licensed for about a year. A friend of his said, hey, I found this house. I want to buy it. You can write the contract. It was super easy inspection. Everything was done. He's like, it's the easiest ten grand I ever made. I'm going to do more of this. I'm like, well, sure. It's been a year and you did a deal and it happened to be one, it's the easiest thing you've ever done. But when you've been doing this, I mean, I've been doing this for 15 years. I'm 36. I started when I was 21. I've been doing this for 15 years. And you see the wide range of things that can go wrong. When I moved into investment real estate, that's when I really started to be able to differentiate myself from other agents because single family houses, their value is all dependent on what those other single family houses in the neighborhood are selling for, right? right. So if you live in an Arbor Roses as a neighbor, as a neighbor, there's three different house styles that are all within 200 square feet of each other. Very easy to price that out. When you're dealing with multifamily property, let's say you've got an eight unit and there's not another eight unit building that has sold in the last six months within five miles. Like, how do you come up with that value? The last few years has been such a crazy market that anybody could list those properties, put it on the market, and it would sell, and everyone thinks they did really well. But you don't know what you've missed out on by not being able to properly represent the opportunity of those buildings. So this legislation is causing a lot of issues. but, But one upside that it's doing is it's bringing our market back to the fundamentals. And you're talking about rent control. Rent rent control, right. So uh, Senate Bill 608, which I'm sure you guys touched on, rent control. And not only that, but you you can no longer evict without cause, whether it's landlord cause. That's Oregon Senate. That's Oregon side, yeah. So the upside to this is that it's bringing our investment properties back to the fundamentals of what's our gross rents minus our expenses, what's our net operating income, our NOI, get that into a cap rate, and that's what your value is. Before, it didn't, you know, people were buying at what's called a three cap because they knew they could boot everybody out and get it released, and, you know, now that's a six cap. In reality, that's not how you should be buying these properties. You shouldn't just push everybody out, and that's your only upside. Obviously, it's not the best way to do business either, right? right. That happened to me in 2012. Yeah. Yeah, And it doesn't feel good. So I think, Jeremy, your original question was, how does somebody get started? How do they get get involved? So I think, you know, certainly, what do you want that asset to do, and when do you want it to do it? And then surround yourself with a really high-quality team, which we've really discussed here today. And I think the third thing is, understand some of the key metrics of measurement. 
Mm-hmm. We've thrown a few key terms around already, cash flow, cap rate, cash on cash return. A couple more would be gross rent multiplier. These are all metrics that you use to evaluate a property as to whether or not you think it's a good fit for your portfolio. Mm-hmm. So that's really where your team can come in. They want to understand you know, what you want that asset to do then they understand what capital you have available. And Ben's right. You're not going to pick up a great rental property with $20,000 in your pocket. It's going to take a bit more than that in Portland, Oregon right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the deals are not as prevalent as they once were. You know, we're right. starting to see some movement there. But the word's out. Portland's a great place to live. The word's out. Portland's a great place to own rental properties. You know, Oregon, the revenue's great. So you're not going to just walk into a deal. You're going to have to work a little harder at it. Your team's going to have to work a little harder at it. And the best way to do that is to understand some of those financial metrics like cash flow, cash on cash return, gross rent multiplier, and cap rates so that you can look at properties, analyze those properties, and see if they deserve another look or a little bit deeper level of detail analysis to determine whether it's a good place to put your capital. Mm -hmm. That's really where people need to spend their time. And that's the place I find people spend the least amount of time. Right. No one likes to do the math. Nobody likes to do the math, but the numbers never lie. Math is hard. They just, math is hard. That's right. And the crazy thing about math is it's doesn't have emotion attached to it. Right. Uh, it's clearly you know predictable, and and they just numbers don't lie. And if you're the type of person who's not going to do the math, but you're going to hold this property for thirty years, you're probably going to be fine. You could have done better. There's an opportunity cost you're missing on. You're going to be fine if you hold it long enough. Mm-hmm. I think the the problem that a lot of people have is they've been looking at what's gone on the last few years. Right. They see some so and so bought their their duplex for three hundred thousand. Now they're selling it for six. It's been four years. I want to do the same thing. Right. The it math doesn't, doesn't look as good when way. you bought it in two thousand seven. <laughs> there, there's right. a, a very well known real estate website and this guy does a lot of webinars on how to buy multifamily properties and every single example he has, which is great deals, he bought in two thousand ten and two thousand eleven. Yeah. Right. I'm like, yeah. obviously, if your advice is go back eight, nine years, perfect. Sure. That's one. But if you go back to what's, what's the saying a blind squirrel <laughs> finds an acorn every once yeah, in a while exactly, as well. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you just really have to work a bit harder today. As you said, Mm -hmm. we're getting back to the fundamentals of how it really does work. And there's a saying that says this real estate investment business, it's get rich slowly. Mm -hmm. This does not happen overnight. Ben and I were having a conversation the other day, and I've repeated it several times since then. As early as this morning, we were talking with these folks about whether they should hold their property or should they sell it. And the secret to success really is understand the cycles You know, I'm often asked, when should I buy a real estate investment property? And my answer is today. Right. You know, if you want to, it's always always today. It's yesterday. And if not yesterday, it's today. today. And then understand. Best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. That's Right. right. That's exactly right. All you have to do is understand. One, make sure you're not over leveraged, Mm -hmm. that you can hold your breath through the cycle and hold through the cycle. It will come around. The number one question I'm asked is, are we in a bubble? Are we at a peak? Should I buy? The answer is always yes. And your first exit strategy needs to be at the peak of the next cycle. Yeah. Who, Whatever that who is. Knows, when something is, yeah. may come up and you may double that value in three or four years. By all means, take that money and run. By all means, right? But mm-hmm. but your strategy when you buy it is at the very earliest you're looking through the peak of the next cycle. Because seven to ten years, we always go through this peaks and valleys. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. If you bought in late 2006, spring 2007 in Portland, that was right before we crashed. If you bought it then and you're selling today, you're making money. 
Right. Right. Not only right. in your in your principal by you know your principal payments that were made in building equity that way, but also in appreciation. Yeah. So as long but as you, you bought it in two thousand seven and you sold it in two thousand ten. You missed the mark. Okay. You know, you didn't. You don't understand the cycle. That's yeah. Right. yeah, I did. I did a ton of short sales back in the day. We helped the guy mm-hmm. between two thousand and five and two thousand and seven. He bought twenty owner occupied properties, which is fraud. He didn't live in any of those. But we helped him do twenty short sales on those properties in two thousand and ten, because he just did not understand how to look out past the next six months. He thought it was just going to keep going. Yeah, where people really lost their shirts in this space uh, back in 2008, 2009, you know, these are folks that bought single-family homes typically in the 2005, 2006 time period. They looked at their rent revenue. They most likely were cash flow negative. Pick a number, it won't be right, but let's say they're $5,000 in negative cash flow for the year. Not a big deal. That single-family home, based on the most recent trend, was going to appreciate $60,000, $70,000 that year. So I have to spend $5,000 to make sixty dollars or seventy. dollars right? What happened? The market crashed. What is the one thing that didn't change in that equation? Losing $5,000. Losing $5,000 a year. And now they're feeding the beast, they call it, and it goes back to the bank. Mm. So if you understand those principles, you understand the best time to buy real estate is today. And just don't go in it for the short haul, right? Pick a different, just pick a different investment <laughs> go vehicle. Go throw your money out the window. If, well, if, 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 if you are a flipper and that yeah. is your business, go by all means. Knock yourself out. That, but that's a totally different business model. If you're looking that's at- That's not passive income. Yeah, if you're looking for yeah. passive income, you need to have a long-term approach. This, this rent control thing. So I, I do a lot of cold calling. If you're listening to this, I'm sorry if I've called you too many times, but- um, <laughs> Most of the people I talk to, A, are three, four, five years behind in rent. B— When you say behind in rent, what do you mean, Ben? I mean, they're probably $1,100 for a two-bedroom here in Beaverton, and it should be 1400 Because right? they wanted to maybe be they nice lo- they or— They love their tenants. Love their tenants. So yeah. behind on rent doesn't mean that they haven't paid their rent. Yeah, right. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Below market. That, it, it means they haven't—we ra- we sold a property where they, they haven't raised their rent in seven years. Wow. Right? But they love their tenants, which I get, so they're going to get a— $50 Starbucks gift card every year from me, right? Because I love my tenants too. But so And in the meantime, Ben, that seven years, in the meantime, property taxes have gone up, expenses have gone up, and margins have constricted for that investor. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But they don't need the cash flow, so they're fine with it. But now they're, you know, they're gonna sell in the next year or two. Back to the fundamentals, the net operating income, they cannot get the value they could have last year because they need to raise their rent. 9.9% every year for the next five years to get to what should have been today's value. Does that make sense? And how fair is it to that tenant to experience that? Not very it's fair. It's not very fair at all. Yeah. People tell me all the time they love their tenants and now they're going to sell their building. They're used to a $700 a month payment and that's 1500 when they get booted out and it's going to happen. It's not so you're not necessarily doing your tenants a favor. Like, yeah, you're doing them a favor in the moment. But inevitably, if, you, if you're not going to hold on to that property forever, then... Sooner know, or later, the rent's going to catch up. My yeah. wife and I have, uh, have a friend who has a uh, two-and-a-half-year-old kid who can't walk yet because their parents carried her everywhere. And they think they're doing her a favor by not having to work and learn how to walk and do all this stuff. And in reality, she's way behind in her development because her parents loved her and didn't want to see her struggle. Mm-hmm. If you love your tenants, you don't want to see them struggle. They need to just be prepared for the real world. That's just yeah. I mean, is. the market conditions dictate 
always. It's just the way it works. And there are so many other great ways to say thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what we find tenants truly value, being treated with respect, fixing things when they break, mm-hmm. communicate effectively, and make sure you're taking care of the property. And don't have these wild swings. Right. You know, that, it's just folks don't budget for a $400 a month increase. But if rents are going up 1% to 2 to 3% a year and your rents are moving with that market, that's the market moving. It's right. much easier to budget for that. Uh, and they are prepared for the real world. It's very difficult for folks that are living in a property that's so substantially below market. And then they, that ends. Now they can't afford anything mm-hmm. because we haven't properly prepared for that. Now, I'm not suggesting that you need to do things to because other people can't budget. People need to be responsible for their own actions. But it's just not, in my mind, a great way to treat tenants. Say thank you, but do it in an effective way. Give them the send out cards with some brownies. Yeah, that's right. Those brownies are so good. Shout out to Lori. Everybody, not even gonna lie, I totally ate one of those last night. I split it with my wife, so I didn't get too much sugar, you know? (laughs) Microwave 15 seconds. Bought a card from D'Angelo, so he sent me some brownies. Yeah. Yeah. So we asked the question at the beginning of the podcast, how do I get started? So you said that you just bought a duplex, a owner, owner occupied, owner occupied uh, duplex, mm-hmm. right? And then you said after that, in pretty quick succession, like next step, four step after that, six, eight, whatever, however many units, all owner occupied. Not not all owner. Not all. But so so walk well, us through. The process. Well, let me let me back up real quick. The answer to your question is going to be, how old are you? When do you want to realize? the return on your investment. If you're 20 years old, whatever you can get into, you get into it. Start that now. Get a roommate to help pay down that mortgage. Whatever you can do to start building. If all you've got is that 3.5% FHA you know, loan, mm-hmm. get that going. Have somebody else help. You know, Get a roommate or two. Have them help pay down that mortgage for you. So you build enough equity that you can then sell that by the next bigger property and do it on a bigger scale. The whole thing is just the power of, of the scale here is is incredible. And what I'm hearing you say, Ben, really is the very, very first step is to get your own financial house in order. Yes. Absolutely. Get your financial house in order. That's the gateway. Once you have your own financial uh, house in order, now you can start to think about what you want that thing to do, that asset to do, and when you want to do it. Because that's what Ben's saying when he says, if you're 20... And you don't need any cash today, but you need it in 15 years. Essentially, you've answered the question, what do you want it to do? And when do you want it to do it? Exactly. Your, fan, your financial house has to be in order. There's no such thing in my mind as the no money down real estate path to wealth. It, right. it just doesn't really work that right. way. Right. Not, not in this world. So once you get your financial house in order, then you start to raise the capital. And if you really think through, how can I raise that capital? You'll find opportunities. And it mm-hmm. may be reducing your monthly obligation by getting a roommate. Mm-hmm. It may be selling your car and buying one that's not quite so expensive. No offense, no offense yeah. to anyone. <laughs> Don't buy $5 worth of uh, lattes every two hours. You know, maybe, right. you know, get your financial house in order so you have the capital and then start putting it to work. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, if you're 50 years old, you got a kid who's going off to college, you've got a little bit of a nest egg and you're like, what do I want to do with that? I've got 15 to 20 years left. Now you can take that money and either you can find a cash-flowing market. So we're, we're bringing a lot of our clients to Boise because they're seeing mm-hmm. pretty good cash flow as is, and it's one of the highest growth markets in the country. Or you could buy somewhere where you anticipate a lot higher, a lot higher growth in appreciation. Portland, for example, it's not a great cash flow city if you're buying it now, but 
the growth pattern in Portland is so strong. Plus, honestly, the rent control drives up values and drives up rents that you're going to see a pretty decent return. But it, it all depends on what you want to do. For, for we, we helped a couple. Um, they had a fourplex close in Portland. They bought it for five hundred. This was a handful of years ago. They sold it three or four years later for eight hundred. They took that money and bought a seventeen units, I believe, in Hermiston. No, twenty six units in Hermiston that more than doubled their cash flow with on-site property management, right? That Hermiston property is never going to double in value, but they've got that monthly cash flow coming in. They're retired. They get to do Yeah, they don't need it to. Exactly. So it all depends on what stage you are in your life and what is your goal, how long do you want to take to get there, what's your exit strategy. One thing I wanted to kind of touch on just briefly before we sign off here, because this is a fantastic discussion, especially for people. And like pretty much everybody you talk to is interested in investment. Well, people listening to this podcast either live in a home or own a home. That's right. So that's a bonus. Um, That's a bonus. And a lot of business owners and stuff and real estate agents, and they're always, you know, looking for a good good property, you know, like investment property, how to work it. But I want to talk briefly. You and I had talked before about how you got into real estate originally. And I thought that was an interesting story. If you want to just quick. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was 21 years old, I was either going to move to Hawaii or get my real estate license. You were going to um, teach surfing lessons, weren't you? Uh, no. Oh, that's, okay. that's, too, <laughs> that's too much work. Uh, so actually backing up, I can go back even further. I can go back to when I was 15, so it would have been 1998, Black Friday. I was in line at the Best Buy on Cedar Hills. It was a three-hour wait. And just to the right was uh, a book that Dan mentioned, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert right. Kiyosaki. Picked that book up. I was halfway through by the time I got to the front of the line. I'm like, I'm getting into real estate. In some (laughs) fashion, I'm going to be involved in real estate. And then when I turned 21, it was either like, I'm going to do this with my license or I'm going to move to Hawaii and put it off for a few years. Came up heads, got my license. Sadly, three weeks later, it was way too easy. I got involved in real estate because I wanted to invest. The first stage of my real estate career was watching these guys who were flippers and thinking that's what a real estate investment was. When the market crashed, I realized they were just riding the market. They were getting lucky. They weren't adding any value to these properties. The market crashed. I did probably 300 short sales. And then when it turned back around, I realized what I really liked about the short sales, which is a short sale happens when you sell the property for less than you owe and the bank doesn't come after you for the amount that you owe them. Um, what really, of those 300, what percentage would you say were, were from folks who were flipping? Oh, geez. Um, a lot. A lot of them were. Mm-hmm. But honestly, sadly, I would say the majority of them were people in their late 50s or 60s mm-hmm. yeah. who were told to refinance and pull out this All equity to reinvest in something else, which they Buy did. Toys but then, it, yeah, exactly. So, what I really enjoyed about short sales, though, was it was all about the numbers, right? The bank didn't care what color paint you had. They didn't care about the car, but whatever. They had a math problem, and if it was cheaper to do a short sale than it was to foreclose, they were going to do a short sale, even if it meant giving the seller a $40,000 relocation check, which I happened to get—it happened twice for me, so that was great. But it was all about the numbers. So when the market turned back around, I was like— I can't take a first-time homebuyer out to talk about where little Johnny's going to open his Christmas presents. It's not, it doesn't excite me that that way anymore. And then my, my father-in-law didn't want me to uh, move with his daughter to Austin, so he told me <laughs> I should talk to Jason Waxberg over at Equity Pacific. 
jumped in the car with him. We rode around town. He started pointing out apartments, who owned what, what they bought it for, why it's worth what it's worth. And I'm like, this is it. This mm-hmm. is exactly what I should have been doing for the last, at that point, 11 years. And yeah, right. I love every minute of it now. I know you mentioned the rich dad, poor dad. And I think the first real financial book that I ever read was called The Millionaire Next Door. Mm-hmm. You remember that one? Mm-hmm. Yep. I know some of the numbers in it are a little off now because it was written in like the late 90s, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Almost uh, every real estate investment yeah. book, the numbers are a little off. Yeah, they're <laughs> like, you're going to get Because they wrote them in a time when you could buy yeah. a, a duplex for $100,000. Right. right. But yeah, I think I think it kind of boils down to this thing. I was listening to a guy named Eric Sue, who's a marketing guy, and he said that people who understand compound interest collect it and people who don't pay it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what it comes down to is how can I have an investment vehicle that's going to build over time and help me build wealth versus just kind of spending my money on things or money I don't even have yet on things right. and then paying interest rather than collecting. This is one thing about real estate is, you know, if you want to buy $400,000 in stocks, just basics, you need $400,000. If you want to buy a $400,000 duplex and you're going to own or occupy it, you only need 10% down is $40,000. Right. Now, if that $400,000, each asset goes up 20%, so now it's worth four eighty. You made eighty thousand dollars on a forty thousand dollar investment, or you made eighty thousand dollars on a four hundred thousand dollar investment. Like, if you understand how that works, congratulations, you'll be rich. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you are leveraging eventually. Yeah, yeah. You will. It's oh, it's, you will. It's right. incredible. Mm-hmm. But all it is 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 a time. How much time mm-hmm. do you have to make that work for you? And, yep. and that's what happens. Well, that's great. Jeremy, do you have any more questions? Or I think maybe we no, should I'm wrap it up here. About, hey, <laughs> no, you're like, yeah. and, uh, but not five dollar lattes every two yeah. hours. Yeah. You know, no. I take have one five dollar latte and drag it out. I get a little bit offended when everybody attacks my coffee. You know, there's a lot <laughs> hey, man, of things that I don't out. do. Knock yourself out. You know, mm-hmm. well, work at home. I don't have an office. I do all these things to save money so that I can drink a five dollar latte every day. If you get that Starbucks gold card, then you get free refills. So I know that's what I do. And they give you a crap load of free coffee. That's right. Neither yeah. I'll make you a deal, Matt. No offense, but you buy your latte and I'll take you around to my rental properties. How's that Perfect. sound? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right. So that's what we got, right? It's real estate can be tricky, but if you make it work for you, you know, if you haven't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, please read it. Yeah. The library has it for free dollars. You just have to take time and sign up for a library card. Side note, it's probably checked out for the next like five months because mm-hmm. it's a really, you can watch really good book. Can yeah, you talks read? about his yeah. book on and, YouTube. And yeah. to be perfectly clear, that's just the basic concepts right. of how to get your money to work. There's right. so much right? more. There's so it, much more. It is. Yeah. The rabbit hole goes very, very mm-hmm. far. Well, and you understand this, right? I mean, you bought a car to rent out, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, we all we all have investments that we're making on the way here. Right. So, you know, we so, kind of uh, understand the idea behind it. But the, the real estate thing, some of the ways that the numbers work, like when you're talking about how you can buy it with less money down than mm-hmm. instead of versus buying stocks or, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people buy crypto these days and right. things like that. But, you know, that's, that's high, high risk investments. And, uh, you know, it seems like you would be hard pressed to find anything in the market that you can buy without spending all the money up front, right. but also isn't a super high risk. I right. believe owning residential real estate investment property is still today one of the very best vehicles for just your average person like Well, us. dollar for dollar, yeah. right? It's, yeah. uh, okay, for instance, I bought cars. I own cars yeah. to rent out. That was the sole purpose I bought them. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to make 
a semi-passive income on these assets that I will own at some mm-hmm. point. And dollar for dollar, yeah, I only spent, you know, let's say $1,000 down, right? $30,000 total investment for one of the cars. But I've already made on that car, you know, five $6,000 mm-hmm. in a year. And that car is only depreciating. Right. Like that, I'm not going to sell that car for more than I bought it. There's Correct. just no yeah. way, right. unless I get really lucky, not going to happen. Right. But if I go out and I spend two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars on a house, you know, at the at the peak of the cycle or the peak mm-hmm. of the next cycle, if that's a five six hundred thousand dollar house and I've rented it out over the, that time, it's a fantastic investment. It is. The risk is mitigated with mm-hmm. insurance and stuff like that, and I'm not selling it at a loss right. in the long term. Dan and Ben are here nodding at you. They're like <laughs> seeing the wheels this turn. They're like, you're getting it. <laughs> it. It took a while. It took a real conversation and actually hearing, you know, yeah. things tossed around. And it's something that I understand on a smaller on a scale. scale yeah. mm-hmm. And it's just now figuring out how to move forward. So yeah, it's how do you get from where you are to that point that you can start that next process? Exactly. Right. Build more wealth. In figuring that out, you'd mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, Dan, getting the right team together mm-hmm. and talking to the right people. So how do people get a hold of you to talk to you about getting you in their circle, getting you on their side? Yeah, absolutely. You can call our office, obviously, at 503-224-3002, or just go to our website, realpmsolutions.com. Perfect. And then, Ben, same thing for you. How do people call you to get you on their side to help, you know, fight for them and teach them how to go through this process? I mean, you can find me on Tinder or Bumble. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, shout out to my lovely wife. Um, I'll start on Tinder. Uh, no, you can find me at equitypacificrealestate.com or give me a call 971-235-9561. Email address is ben at equitypacificrealestate.com. Perfect. Thank you guys Thanks for guys. joining Thank you, us. Jeremy. Yeah. And this was a very enlightening day. And I really do need to set up coffee with one or the both of you. Thanks for joining us, guys. And we'll see you next time. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt Rouse and Jeremy Markoff. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Now stay tuned for a preview of our next episode of Digital Marketing Masters. Join us next week as we talk with Amanda Marcotte from Nerdy Girl Solutions about system automation and how it can help your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson, mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.